Hi, welcome to my podcast. It's called Past Lives A to Z. This is my 14th episode, and my name is Douglas Casimiri. I'm an author, speaker, and past life regression facilitator. If you ever had an interest in past lives, reincarnation, or spirituality, and you've come to the right place, sit back and listen. You won't be disappointed. I want to thank those for supporting the show with a monthly subscription. If you're not a supporter and would like to help to make this podcast possible, tap the link in the episode description or visit anchor.fm slash past lives A to Z to become a monthly supporter. Your 99 cents a month will go a long way to improving my podcast. Again, I invite your questions and we'll answer them on the podcast. My email address is doug at positivepastlife.com. My website is positivepastlife.com. My blog, Past Lives A to Z. My goal for my podcast is to expand your understanding of the spiritual universe, how it works, and how our past lives affect our present life. Before we get started, I want to read to you a daily message from my book, Live Your Life in Awe. It's a calendar book with 365 simple messages of wisdom. The goal is to read one message each day. The same message will have different meaning to different people. Some will have a profound impact on the way they look at life. My message of the day is, if all you have inside is love, then you are incapable of hate. Today, I'm going to share with you Captain Robert Snow's reincarnation story. Robert Snow was a retired captain of the Indianapolis Police Department who had been in charge of homicide, robbery, and organized crime department. He had written several books on the police on police work. Robert's story begins at a party where a fellow police officer who conducted past life regressions as a hobby described how she guided clients into a relaxed state so past life memories would emerge. Captain Snow thought the so-called memories must be fabricated, that there were fantasies. He told this to the regression therapist slash police officer. This really upset her. She dared Captain Snow to have a past life regression himself, she said. Sure, I'll do that. But he had no intention of following through with the regression. The regression therapist kept hounding Snow and accused him of being afraid. That did it. And reluctantly, the captain got a referral to a different regression therapist and scheduled an appointment. Snow did not believe in reincarnation and he did not expect to have a meaningful experience during regression. As if he was directed by he was directed by a past life regression facilitator to relax. Snow found himself becoming totally at ease with the relaxation process. He let his mind wander as it followed the lead of the facilitator. Then, much to his shock, Captain Snow experienced very clear past life memories during the regression. Captain Snow said that his perception of the past life events was clearer than waking consciousness. He recalled several different lifetimes but the one that was the most important was a portrait of a painter in which he seemed to be in the 19th century. 
Kathleen still remembered 30 specific details regarding his lifetime as an artist. One very clear memory involved him painting a portrait of the hunchbacked woman. Captain Stone vividly recalled the experience, the paint strokes that were used to create the painting, and a summary of the most specific regression memories are as follows. He painted a portrait of a hunchback woman. He painted portraits to make money, but hated doing it. He used the name Jack. He used a walking stick. His wife and he spent time in France. His wife could not have children. They were desperate for money, and he argued with his wife about money. Despite their problems with money and inability to have children, the marriage was happy. He had an art studio with a bank of skylights and a row of windows. He had once stayed in an estate with a large garden. A female relative had died of a blood clot. He died in a large city in the fall of 1917. The regression had such a profound effect on Captain Snow that he became obsessed with trying to determine if it was authentic. Captain Snow himself did not believe in reincarnation and operated under the assumption that he learned about the portrait painter in the past through maybe a book, a school, or at a museum, and the regression experience represented a forgotten memory that he had surfaced. Snow investigated the regression experience as he would a police case. He methodically examined art books, visited art galleries, and contacted dealers, searching for the portrait of a hunchback woman he had seen in the regression or some other clue. Snow was an experienced researcher, but after a year of trying to find the portrait of the hunchback woman, he came to a dead end. He concluded that it was unlucky he would ever be able to identify the artist he had seen in his regression. Captain Snow's wife suggested they take a vacation to New Orleans. Snow agreed. On the last day of their trip, Snow wandered into an art gallery in the French Quarter. Here, Snow had another profound experience. This incident shows how people can be guided, apparently by spiritual sources in discovering past lives. In the gallery that Captain Snow walked into by chance, he discovered a portrait of the hunchback woman he had seen in his regression. For several minutes, he didn't move from the front of that portrait. The situation began to feel surreal, like a very vivid dream. Finally, even though he knew with absolute certainty that this was the same painting it seen in his regression, he became desperate to find a rational answer for what was happening. Things like this just don't happen in real life, he thought. What were the odds of finding this painting? Supernatural things like this just don't happen. From the portrait, Snow learned that the painter's name was J. Carroll Beckwith. Snow's rational side then took over again. He reasoned that he must have seen this portrait in a museum or an art exhibit. He asked the gallery worker if that was possible. No, the worker said. The portrait had been in private hands for years. Besides, there had not been an expedition of Beckworth's work in the last 75 years.
Snow later found that Beckwith's last expedition was has been in 1911. Beckwith was a famous wasn't a famous artist, but he was a good administrator, as was Snow. Beckwith had become the president of the National Academy of Design in New York. The Academy had kept Beckworth's diaries as well as unpublished autobiography. From Beckworth's diaries and autobiography, Snow was able to validate all 30 Pacific memories from his regression, including the 12 listed I told you talked about earlier. There was also a physical resemblance between himself and Carol Beckworth. Captain Snow finally came to the conclusion that he had been Carol Beckworth who indeed had used the name Jack in a prior lifetime. He stated that he had proven reincarnation, and if this had been a police case, the evidence that had compiled would have stood up in court. Captain Snow visits Carol Beckworth's grave, that is, Snow visits his own grave from a past lifetime. Regardless of one's belief system, concrete evidence of reincarnation demands an alteration of it. The shift from belief in past lives to becoming aware of objective evidence of reincarnation can be a shock to anyone. Now I want to share with you the Jenny Cocknell story. Jenny was just an ordinary homemaker and mother of two living in North Hampshire, England. Over a period of a few years, she not only became to believe that she had lived before as Mary Sutton, an Irishwoman who was born in 1897, but she also found she had children living in Ireland. Her story starts with her fourth birthday. She began to remember her past life. For a long time, she wouldn't tell anyone because she believed that everybody had the same feelings and experiences. The most vivid of the memories was a disturbing one. She dreamed of her death, or should I say, Mary's death. She was also where Mary was 35 years old and just given birth to her eighth child. She could see the hospital where it was all happening. Mary had strong feelings of deep sorrow that she was leaving her children without a mother. The feelings never left her. In addition, after having these feelings for a long time, Jenny decided to draw a map of where she believed this had <clears throat> happened. She just knew that it was in Ireland. Mary had felt so bad for leaving her children. Jenny realized that she had to go back to Ireland. So she got out a map of Ireland and pointed to a town called Malahide. She just knew this was her hometown. Jenny was still a child. A number of years later, when Jenny got married and had her own children, the feelings of memory surfered more clearly than ever. Jenny started to think about tracking down Mary's family in Ireland. Jenny said that if she was going to trace a family, she wanted to make sure she did it right. No mistakes, not the smallest doubt. It had to be the right house, the right family. She had to get the names, the dates, and the children's names correct. So Jenny consulted with a past life regression facilitator who agreed to regress her. At the time, Jenny was very much a skeptic. She really didn't believe anything like reincarnation or any other type of psychic phenomena existed. That's what makes this story so incredible. Jenny felt uncomfortable with the whole idea and was afraid she'd make a fool of herself. 
After going undergoing the regression, Jenny realized that these memories were not going away. She decided to go to Ireland. Jenny looked at the maps she had drawn from past memory and compared them to the real map of Malahide, town of Malahide. She was amazed to find the maps were almost identical. This was what she needed to finally commit to go to Ireland. A journey back in time to see if she could find the home and family she left many years before. When Jenny arrived in Malahide, which is north of Dublin, she decided to check the church records. The records showed that Mary Sutton had lived and died in Malahide. Some of the eight children had been left with relatives. Some had been placed in orphanages. Jenny wanted to try to find her children or other relatives, so she decided to go to the newspapers and television station, as well as writing to all the churches in the area. Jenny was shocked when she located a surviving children. Before she met the children, she was questioned by the BBC to make sure that the dreams and memories that she had been having matched up with the facts known by the surviving members of the Irish family. Jenny told researchers facts about the family home, the kind of sewing thread that Mary had used, even small things like the time she had caught a live rabbit in a trap. Eventually, after an interview, she came face to face with Sonny, Mary's son, for the first time. In 1970, Sonny Sutton picked up the phone and listened to the most amazing story he had ever heard. When he finally hung up the phone, his wife said to him, It looks like you've seen a ghost. Sonny turned to his wife, wiped his sheet, and said, I just was talking to my mother. The rest of Mary's family were not so easily convinced. They wanted to know who Jenny was and why she was doing this to their family. They could not believe this could be possible. The family had been raised Catholic in a complete shock. Mary's daughter, Phyllis Clinton, went to her priest, who told her after reviewing the evidence that somehow Mary was speaking through Jenny as a way of uniting the family. Chrissy, 72, Frank, 70, Phyllis, 71, Betty, 62, and her brother James, who died in 1992, was 66 were very unsettled by the whole thing. Jenny knew the pictures that were on the walls, what was in the house, and how it was built. It is really unbelievable, said Phyllis. Even though I know it is the truth, I still find it very difficult to believe. It looks like my mother. Mary passed her soul over to an unborn child who was Jenny. There was a 21-year gap between the year Mary died and the year Jenny was born. It was very unusual that children could be found and corroborate that story. Jenny is a member of Mensa. She was very down to earth and made sure anything she could not remember was not to be added to the story. Only things that were proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is truly a fascinating story. Born into a normal household, an average, everyday woman grew up with the knowledge that it was normal to remember past lives. What is even more important is that after Mary's death, her children were separated and lost contact with one another for nearly 60 years. Jenny Cockle did the remarkable thing. She reunited the lost family. The family vowed never to part again. Truly, two amazing reincarnation stories. Again, 
I would like to invite your questions. My email address is Doug at PositivePastLife.com. My website is PositivePastLife.com. My blog is PastLivesAtoZ.com. Again, if you have 99 cents a month to support the podcast, it will be greatly appreciated. I would like to end this podcast with a message of love from my book, Whispers of Love. It is also a calendar book with 365 loving messages that provide the emotional support you and your significant other need to help each other stay connected. The message of the day is, the only two letters in alphabet that matter are you and I. This reminder, all my books are available at Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. Until next time, this is Doug Casimir reminding you to stay positive.